Welcome to It Just Makes Sense, a podcast by two easily distracted, higher educated former lovers that explores all of the unpopular opinions, conspiracy theories, and cult leaders that make you want to scream, It It Just just Makes Sense. sense. I'm Sam Smith. And I'm Jeff Seifert. And this week we're covering another episode of Unusual Suspects, this time entitled No Good Deeds. You can find all these episodes on Hulu. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. So I should have done this earlier because little did I know, this episode starts off October 31st, 2005. Uh, (laughs) I was like, God damn it. As you were yelling at me that I didn't do enough Halloween episodes. episodes. Also, 2005, great year. Was it? Year I graduated high school. Oh, God. Zero five, zero five, zero 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 five. Oh, yeah. I was 2003. Oh, Remember how old you used to make me feel when you're two <laughs> fucking years younger than me? Thank you. I'll literally never forget in our gray glasses and we're like that weird old guy. Yeah. Like <laughs> my 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 favorite nightmare from grad school was when you were like, Hey Jeff, do you want to go try out for the real world? Ooh. Oh cut off is twenty five. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> Why am I such an asshole? <laughs> Can't come. Um, you and Kate Griffin. Can't come. Sorry so much. And Kate was like. She was a little older a than A little I bit, was. yeah. Yeah, I think she was a year older than me. <laughs> and we're, we're assholes. Yeah, you were. I know. Anywho, we're at the University of Texas Arlington, and Karen Penland hasn't heard from her best friend Sam <gasps> for four days. What? Karen had been driving around for about three to four hours, going to all the different places that she thought Sam might be hanging out, but still had not seen one sight of him. She was starting to freak out. So she took one last swing by his apartment, hoping that maybe he had gotten home while she was out. But when she arrived, she was greeted by a bunch of police cars and police officers who were outside Sam's door. Now this bitch, I hope this is how you act when I go missing. There was like, caution tape up all around his apartment she ripped it down storm through and was like tell me what the hell is going on <laughs> and i was like i love her i think you probably would do that for me i'm not sure i would do that for you <sighs> i mean i would show up yeah and i probably wouldn't freak out but i think i would storm in i know i would probably yeah, you would for yeah sure. i would <laughs> you you're a little more um also <laughs> yeah and also i just want to know the tea what is the tea? <laughs> like, what is going on and then when they say this is an ongoing investigation you cannot tell anyone this information i'm immediately going to the news station and say you didn't, you didn't hear, hear it from me, from me. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> two guys in and out at 3 a.m mm-hmm. So at 12.07 a.m., Arlington police were called to the student apartment complex to investigate a foul odor in one of the apartments. Interesting. Do you think that when the police get those calls, like, oh, can you come investigate a foul odor, immediately they're thinking there's a dead body? Or do you think they're thinking, like, uh... I don't think they immediately go to dead bodies. Because, like, I just feel like for someone to, like... I would probably have to think it's probably the neighborhood... Yeah. Maybe like, like if it's like in a rundown area, yeah. no. True. And if, yeah, not dead bodies. Or they just like, ooh, a decrepit home full of poop. Right. You know? I mean, maybe they think animals, hoarder. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So once the police got there, they found out what was causing the odor. What? They found a dead body 
wrapped like a cigar in a comforter, pushed in the pushed into like the corner of the room. Ew. Inside of it was 28-year-old Samuel Lee. No. The body at this point was at an advanced stage of decomposition. There was no way to look at it at the crime scene and able to determine how he had died since the body was so badly decomposed. The only things the police could find in the apartment really at all were Sam's two red-tailed boas. Boa constrictors. Snakes. Snakes. His friends and family were in a state of shock. Sam was always there for everyone. Okay. (laughs) He was born in Arlington to a loving family. He loved music and writing, but his true passion was in photography. He had done a ton of family portraits, photo shoots, and he was pursuing his passion for photojournalism at the University of Texas, Arlington. Did he do any photo shoots with him and his snakes? That's all I want to know. You want to know what? That's all I want to know now. (laughs) Especially once you find out more about Sam. Listen, there was when I worked at Madai, now University. It is now? Yeah. MU? MU. (laughs) There was was this um, uh, professor who had wedding photos taken with her husband. Stop it. And, and snakes, no cats, and it is ever it just as glorious as you're thinking. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you afterwards. We'll post them in the group. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> but shout out to Tip because she knows exactly who I'm talking about. So, as the detectives are sweeping Sam's apartment for any type of clues, they notice that once you walk in the door of the apartment, you immediately see a purple substance and just about anything that a person could touch. Light switches, doorknobs, all of the buttons on the microwave, all of the buttons on the television. Like, what? A so substance. they immediately thought was someone's trying to cover up fingerprints. So as soon as they said that, in my head, I'm like, so did someone kill him and then live in the apartment for a few days since he was so badly decomposed? Touching goddamn everything? How strange. Right? So the chemical was collected for analysis, but due to the liquid contamination of this purple substance, they were only able to lift a few fingerprints at the crime scene. They did find a towel tinged with blood, some of which may contain the killer's DNA. So they collected the blood sample, so they had some forensics to go off of. Okay. There was no sign of forced entry, but it was apparent that the apartment had been robbed. There was computers missing, parts of computers were missing, there was even items lined up by the door um, that... It looked like they were going to be coming back to take. So had the people, like, then I was like, did people not fully move out yet? Did they not know the cops were going to be there? These photos are great. <laughs> Jeff just showed me the photos of the wedding with the cats. I have so much to say, but I cannot say online. Wait, <laughs> the cats are wearing hats. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. That's back to- the best. Back to our regular scheduled okay. program. Back to the schedule program. So then I was thinking when they were like, there was stuff by the door looking like they were going to take that as well. Do they not know the cops are there? Like, because someone called in a foul order. Are they planning on coming back? Uh, Where is this person? What has happened? So Sam's friends, Sam's friend, Karen, the one that was like um, looking for him earlier that yeah. stormed the scene, told the police that Sam's SUV was also missing. So immediately the police put out a report for anyone to look for this SUV anywhere that may lead them directly to who was responsible. So the police start trying to put together a list of suspects. Sam was openly gay. 
I know you love that fact. What? That's why when you said, did he take photos with him and his snakes? I was like, wait till you find out. He took photos with some snakes, <laughs> huh? Is that where we're going with this? Hey-o. But he wasn't dating anyone at the time of his murder. Karen said he had a wide circle of friends, but no one that she would have thought that would want to hurt him. Oh, my God. Is this about me? <laughs> wide circle of friends. Nobody. First of all, if someone were to ask me. Who killed me? I would say, listen. Any one of his friends is capable of it with enough <laughs> drinks and anger. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like when people are like, there's no one I could picture that would want them dead. There's people that want me dead. I 100% mm. think that. Yeah. With enough alcohol, they're coming for me. Sure. You know? Yeah, there's there's a list I'm already <laughs> running through in my head. Number one suspect? Mm. Some of these old old villains from our past. Got a lot of, a lot of skeletons in there. That one guy. I would be like, where do I start? Give me a pen. <laughs> so the police actually find a clue in his apartment that leads them to their first lead. It's a matchbook from a popular gay club in Arlington. I was surprised. I'm like, for 2005, they were still giving out matchbooks? Yeah. I guess you could so. Still smoke, you could still smoke in restaurants. In 2005? Absolutely yeah. not. Yes, you could. Absolutely not. I moved to Washington, D.C. in 2008, and you could still smoke. Really? Yeah, yeah. For sure, you could smoke in the South. Absolutely. I feel like, oh, yeah, because it's Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah in 2005, yeah. you definitely could smoke in the South. Um, but what's inside of this matchbook is what's more helpful. Written on the inside is a phone number with the <gasps> name Chip. Listen, I want that for me. <laughs> Somebody give me their number on a matchbook. And I want their name to be Chip. Let's throw it back old school. <laughs> so the police race off to find Chip. He could be a witness. He could be a suspect. It could just lead to further information on some Sam's last last whereabouts. So they call the number, but they get his voicemail, which gives them his last name, Chip Xander. So one team of detectives tried to go to find Chip, while another team tries to get a timeline of what happened to Sam leading up to his murder. Wait a damn minute. That is not his real the- name. Chip Zender. It's his name. Fine. So they went through Sam's entire digital footprint, his phone, his email, and all of his credit cards. There had been no activity on any of them past October 26th on or around 2 p.m. Earlier on the 26th, Sam had driven up to Fort Worth to have lunch with his mother. They believed that his mom was the last person to see Sam alive other than the perpetrator. And those few hours that he was driving back to Arlington, he was never seen again. So October 26th is probably his last day of alive, five days before his body was discovered. Autopsy, result, aut, autopsy results confirm the time of death and how he was killed. His cause of death was strangulation. Oh, and no. then the purple substance is identified as PVC pipe glue. Really? It contains a chemical that dissolves plastic upon contact, melting away any fingerprint or DNA evidence. The blood on the towel recovered at the scene is matched back to Sam himself and no one else. And all of the prints lifted at the apartment also lead back to Sam. So there's like literally no evidence. evidence. That's crazy. So this got a lot harder to find the killer. The only lead they have right now is Chip Zender. They can't get a hold of Chip, so they go to the club that the matchbook came from. And the club manager confirms that Sam is... Always at that club there every Tuesday for karaoke night. He is a regular. The manager knows Chip as well. Chip's in his late 20s and also was a regular on karaoke night. The same as Sam. 
When they run a background check on Chip, well, it's not so great. Really? Chip actually was investigated before for aggravated assault with a vehicle. He had tried to run someone over with his car after karaoke night one night outside the bar. But there was no witnesses other than Zender and the guy making the claim, so he was never charged. Isn't that wild? That is really wild. So now they're still on a mission to find Chip. But it's a Tuesday, so there's a chance he'll show up to the club for karaoke night. Set that trap. So they go in, and sure enough, there's Chip up on stage singing his little heart out. Really? So after he's done singing, the police bring him into the st- station for questioning. Could you imagine as he's like coming off stage singing like Duran Duran? They're like, you are now being arrested. <laughs> Listen, like that is my dream. Like you are all of this scenario sounds one, like I'm that important that you had to come arrest me in karaoke. <laughs> like I'm a celebrity. I'm escorted out of the You know building. me. I'll probably drug at the club with you screaming. Yeah. Let him go. This is abuse. Hey, crime. <laughs> Let Donna Martin graduate. <laughs> so Chip admits that he knows Sam. He met him during karaoke night. He acknowledged that he gave Sam his number so they could get together one night for drinks. But he said he doesn't know anything else about Sam. However, he gets super defensive when they start asking him for his whereabouts on October 26th, the day Sam had been killed. And the police kind of keep pushing harder and harder on him until finally Chip confesses his secret. Really? He's a married man leading a double life. Of course he is. His wife has no idea that he's a regular at the local gay clubs, this including the one where, where he met all Sam. all about my former life. I- <laughs> First of all, you were never married. And secondly, the, it's me. The wife they're talking about in this scenario is me. I'm talking about me being Sam. Oh. Being killed <laughs> no. by... I'm talking about being Sam. <laughs> First of all, I love that I always make it about me. Second of all, yes, actually, this makes more sense in this right, scenario. That is legitimately yeah. going to be you. <laughs> so... Um, he's like, listen, I swear I've never been to Sam's place. I was with my wife the night of the 26th, and he didn't know anyone who would been involved either. He gave a DNA swab, and they had nothing to go off of other than his name on the matchbook, so they had to let him go. So the detectives move forward to try to find another suspect. They dive into Sam's life, and they wanted to know everything. Yeah. Where he ate, who his friends were, where he'd go regularly. And his apartment complex gave him a lot of leads. They spoke with people who lived there, but also people who were there daily, like the mail carrier. And this bitch, wealth of knowledge. Really? The she, mail carrier? The mail carrier. Wow, she's she got recalled. all the tea, huh? She's got the tea. First of all, can I please tell you I'm obsessed with my mail carrier and I wish we were friends? Really? Because like my ring will go off when there's someone at my house. And yeah. sometimes I'll be like, oh, who's there? Not thinking. And I'll hit live. And my mail carrier is like... This spicy Hispanic woman who's always on the phone screaming in Spanish to whoever she's talking to. And it sounds like she's always in a fight with them. And I just want to know what they're talking about all the time. Like, she seems fun. (laughs) Other days, she's, like, blasting music and, like, dancing. Like, she's great. Really? I love her. I don't even know her name. I should find out. You should. Leave her a Christmas card. I do. But, like, I just leave a card with, like, someone I just says, like, mail carrier. (laughs) Oh. Um, I'm never home when she's there. Anywho, so 
The mail carrier recalled seeing a young man who was always sitting on the steps outside of Sam's apartment. She never talked to him, but she thought it was weird that he would just be sitting outside of Sam's apartment. He was a blonde male in his 20s, thin bill, about 5'10 with a backpack. First of all, I would never remember any of this. Like, never. I could never recall things. All I of those details? I do not observe. Like, they were white, yeah. average height? No idea. No exactly. Idea. No idea. I probably would have been like, there was a person sitting there? Like, I... <laughs> you definitely would not notice. <laughs> no. no. Sam's apartment manager confirmed seeing someone with that same description lording around the building. He didn't know if he was friends with Sam or not. And honestly, like... It's on a college campus, like it's close to student housing. So yeah. he's like, that description could literally match thousands of people. thousands of people. And when you see a kid with a backpack, you're not thinking, like you're just Criminal. thinking, yeah, thinking whatever. They're probably going to school. Yeah. So could it be another student? Is it a friend of Sam's? Is it someone from the community? A detective on the case had been working the same jurisdiction for about 20 years. And when he hears the description of this person that they're describing, he's kind of like, wait. I know who it is. Really? He was like, it sounds like Sean Crathers. And he's well known in that area for being a thief, violent, a con man. He's everything but good. No shit. And there's usually not a week that goes by that he's not in the Arlington jail. And he matches the description and more so like the profile, like the criminal profile of who could have killed Sam Lee. So now they have to find Sean. Usually he's easy to find. But this time, he's nowhere to be found. So they're worried that he may have fled town. Takes over 72 hours, but then they found him. And they bring him right in for questioning. They first question him about the night of the murders. And much like me, Sean is like, sir, that was about three weeks ago. I hardly remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. I have no idea where it was. He said he was up in Denton visiting a friend from high school. But when they look into that story, the police found out he's lying. In response, Sean tells them, wait, 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 wait. I'm so sorry. Actually, I was in Dallas. I want to see a movie with my girlfriend. And then like a couple minutes later, he's like, wait, wait, wait. Just kidding. I was in Fort Worth, not Dallas. And they said it almost seemed like he was coming off like super cocky and arrogant. Like it was a game. Like he was just like, oh, wait. Yeah. So they were surprised when he readily agrees to a DNA sample. Um, and first they were like, is it because he knows that the purple liquid got rid of all the DNA or is it because he didn't do anything? So now they had to prove that the, that the people around the apartment complex, like the mail carrier and the manager, um, describing Sean, they needed to verify that it was him that they were talking about. Right. So they bring a photo lineup of the people to the mail carrier and the apartment manager to see if they can pick Sean out of that list. But not none of them can say for sure it was Crathers. They're like, eh, none of them really look like the guy. Sorry, so sorry, but we can't do it. So they had nothing to connect Sean to the murders, and they had to let him go. It's now weeks into the investigation. They issue a Crime Stoppers bulletin with a $1,000 reward, and this soon pays off. A tipster says that they saw Sam in the days leading up to the murder out in bars with someone that they only know by their first name, Trevor. Also, I feel like it's not very helpful, but whatever. But the caller says that he was that Trevor or no, the caller said that he was talking to Sam at a bar when Trevor came over and started talking to all of them. Um, And it was sometime right before Halloween. The caller says that he told Sam to watch out for Trevor because this guy Trevor was bad news. 
But then the tipster said he saw some friends walk in, so he went to go say hi to them. And when he turned around again, he noticed that Sam and Trevor were gone. Okay. So we assumed that they had left together. So it was Trevor, one of the last people to see Sam alive. Maybe. After a little police digging, they found out that Trevor's last name, Trevor Hilliard. He was a pool cleaner in Dallas, about 20 miles east of Arlington. So they tracked Trevor down and bring him in for questioning. He wasn't surprised when the police came to him. He said he knew it was about Sam. He just figured it was because he knew Sam, so they wanted to ask, like, questions. Like, he knew Sam was missing or dead. He knows that he was with him, so he figured, yeah, you're going to ask me questions. He said he met Sam in the bars and had known him from around town. They ran with the kind of the same group of people. Okay. The Dallas PD report to Arlington that they that the Dallas police, because that's where Trevor is, um, knows that Trevor is known to have suffered from a mild form of mental disorder. He's constantly on some type of behavior modifying medication, and he's been known to exaggerate. But what he's saying is important, especially since he said he was in Sam's apartment. So the Arlington detectives asked Trevor three simple questions to see if he really knows about Sam Lee. They're like, is this guy lying just to like get the attention? We're going to ask him three questions. They ask him, one, what were Sam's passions? And right away he was like, airplanes. This guy loved airplanes. And they're like, that's not true. Okay, that's not true. It's photography, right? Then they ask him to describe his apartment. Was it messy? Was it clean? Like... What was it like inside? And Trevor's like, oh, Sam was a neat freak. The entire apartment is crystal clean. And like all of his friends, Sam's friends, and from the apartment, you could tell itself was like, yeah, no, he was far from clean. Um, So then the final question they asked him was, did Sam have any pets? And he goes, oh, he had um, like a bird or two that he had in a cage in his living room. And they're like, okay. Like, no, he had no, two gigantic two gigantic like, two gigantic snakes. So the police are kind of like, listen, <clears throat> we don't know why he's making up all of this shit or like if he's the guy or not. But like the police, re- the detective on the screen in the documentary was kind of like our guts told us like he's just lying to lie. Like, you know what I mean? Like he She's didn't do it. He's trying to be a part of it. Yeah. So to be safe, they take a cheek swab from Trevor, but they have no reason to hold them. But then what they stumble upon. An unsolved murder that may be linked to Sam's death. 46-year-old Craig Cezanne was killed two weeks before Halloween in a Dallas apartment building. He was found in his home, strangled, and his vehicle and some of his personal property was taken. There was no forced entry, and he was also gay. So this kind of had a lot of the same, like, ish-ish. I would say they're not nearly the same age. Okay, they're both gay, Jeff. <laughs> I'm sorry, that is not. I know. Enough it's of a like, connection. but that's what they're like. Olivia so. Benson would be like, no, <laughs> right? no, thank you. But now the media was trying to, like, pull, like, tie these together, right? Yeah. They were also trying to pull it in with four other unsolved murders in the area, which kind of triggered a media firestorm. So now. Like, what started as an isolated murder investigation was this turning into a serial killer who was attacking gay men. Dallas detectives had a witness from the Craig Cezanne murder who worked with a sketch artist to come up with a rendering of the murderer. It's a man in his 20s with dark hair and a goatee. And from the sketch, it looked like the guy had a bowl cut. Also from the sketch, it looked like a 13-year-old sketch artist had done it. 
<laughs> like you, do you remember a while ago there was a huge news story that took off and it was like a sketch of a leprechaun and they're like this oh, is yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what that sketch looked like in this show Hilarious. of the guy I'm like who did this that's so funny <laughs> but this did create new interest because they like put out this rendering of this sketch artist and all this stuff they start to get tips and they get one of the most significant phone calls in the entire investigation A caller claims Sam's killer had just confessed to him. Really? Come again. (gasps) The informant said he was having drinks with a friend named Spencer McVie. Apparently, this is a name well known to the Dallas Police Department. He has a minimum of 30 mugshots. He's done robberies, thieves, assaults. He's just not. He's a um, career criminal. The informant said that Spencer reported feeling horrible about something that he did in Arlington, Texas. But that's like it. So the informant was like, well, I put two and two together. And I thought, oh, my God, did he kill that kid in Arlington? What did he do that would make him feel so bad? That is the loosest connection I've ever heard. Thank you. His mugshot does kind of look like the sketch from The Witness. Okay. So did this guy kill Craig Cezanne and Samuel Lee? No. So they're off combing the streets of Dallas looking for Spencer. In nightclubs, homeless shelters, no one knows where he is. Then they get a call that adds to the urgency. They get a call from a high-profile businessman in Tex- in Dallas. They don't, like, say his name or anything, so it's just a high-profile businessman. Was I'm it? wondering if because he was, like, maybe closeted. Closeted? Yeah. yeah. That's what was – right. it, was it J.R. Ewing? <laughs> Who? J.R. Ewing. Who is that? <gasps> from Dallas? Oh. The I- show? <laughs> Didn't JR, watch it. Sue Ellen. Didn't watch it. Listen, girl, you got to go back and watch it. George Calabrese, big fan. Uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Who shot JR, girl? So they get a call from a high profile businessman, right? He confides to the detectives that during the summer, he invited Spencer McVie to stay with him for a few days. The guy had no idea about Spencer's criminal past and didn't take long or and it didn't take long for Spencer to start to take advantage of the older really? man's kindness. He guzzled down all the premium liquor in the cabinets. They he took this guy's car out for joy rides and ran up charges on his credit card bill like no tomorrow. I mean So after a few weeks, this man demanded that Spencer leave. And Spencer lost it he attacked him and started strangling him the man fought him off screaming and his sensor eventually let go and just goes fine you want me gone i'm gone and leaves but the guy the businessman reports to the detectives that like he knew that if he that spencer would have killed him if he didn't like physically fight him off it was like he would have kept going until i was dead so it's more proof that Spencer had a violent individual and capable of the capable of these brutal crimes. Got it. But no one knows where he is. They were no closer to finding him than they were before. But just before Christmas, they make an arrest in the Craig Cezanne murder case. And it's not this guy. In a stunning turn of events, it is not Spencer McVie. But a man named Ray Martinez. Really? He was picked up on unrelated charges, and when he was fingerprinted, there was a direct match for the prince at Craig Cezanne's murder crime scene. But when they tried to match him with Sam's murder, he had an airtight alibi. He was nowhere near Sam's apartment at the time of the murder. Hmm. So now what? Was there no serial killer attacking gay men in the Texas area? No, because none of them are connected. 
On New Year's Eve, two months after Sam's body is found, another call comes into the office. Sam's missing trunk has truck has been recovered a hundred miles away really? in Waco. <gasps> It was found in the parking lot of the bus station. So they assumed the person dumped it and then took a bus straight out of town. It was brought in and thoroughly searched for anything that they could find. But they couldn't come up with any kind of forensic traceable evidence until, until what? they got to the glove box. What was in it? Tucked inside is a receipt. And the date on the receipt is for October 27th, <gasps> 2005. The day after he was The killed. day after the murders. Where was it for? They tracked the receipts to a video game store just north of Arlington. It was for a cash trade-in and some D- for some DVD movies. The same movies stolen from Sam's apartment. The store needs photocopy ID whenever purchasing back any items. So they're able to provide the name of the person. Really? Is this the name of the killer? Is it? Could you imagine like a DVD trade-in is what brought you down? Like no. you fuck, idiot. You fucking moron. Idiot. I don't think I've been this riveted by a story. Right? Isn't this crazy? (laughs) So Kyle Nathan Johnson, he's 20 years old and lives in the suburb of Dallas. I don't trust anyone with three first names. You know what? Me either. Psychopath. (laughs) So they go to Waco to see if they could connect Kyle to the truck, like the truck stop in Waco. When they get to the bus depot to see if anyone with that name bought a ticket in the last two to three months. What do they find? They find it. (gasps) Kyle had gone to Fort Worth one way on October 29th, three days after the murder. The bus lady was able to identify him from a list of photos. These people's memories is impressive. Impressive and insane and a little scary because like, again, we've seen what eyewitness characters can do. But she said that he had told her that he was homeless and she thought it was a little strange because he doesn't come off as you would typically think of as homeless like he's clean cut put together has nice clothes like looks like he has money you know what uh, i mean so she thought that that's why she remembered because she thought that was strange so then they go to sam's apartment to the mail carrier and to the apartment manager and show a photo lineup of all of, like of random people and ask of any of them were the guy they saw lurking around sam's apartment and they all picked out Kyle Johnson. Really? So now they race to find Kyle. They have an arrest warrant, and they're able to track him down to his parents' house. They immediately arrest him for the murder. Like, what's really annoying is, like, on this show, they're like, no one could believe that this clean-cut, handsome boy could have committed these murders. The son of an ordained minister. He grew up in and around the church. And this is such a shock. Like, is it it? a white conservative church-going male killing a gay man? Like, it doesn't doesn't sound too shocking to me. Not even a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? All you got to do is say white and clean cut. That describes what? Every serial killer? Thank you. And then I was like, ooh, was he closeted? Like, what happened? So, anywho, they bring him in for questioning, and they start to unravel the secrets of Kyle's life. Really? He was very reserved and quiet at first, but he confessed over the last few months, living with his parents had become unbearable, so he had left home. He was homeless and working in odd jobs. He had wound up in Arlington where he met Sam Lee in late October. Kyle bumped a cigarette off of him and they just started talking and like bonding over video games. And I think they met like outside Sam's apartment. Like he was just kind of hanging around on like different stoops. Sam invited him into his apartment and told them that Kyle could stay there until he got back on his feet. 
Um, but he like that's all he says. He doesn't confess to being involved in Sam's death. But then the detectives start presenting the evidence against him. The video game store receipt. And right away he's like, where did you find this? And they were like, yeah, in Sam's vehicle. How did it get there? And right away he's like, all right, so I guess we can stop BSing then. I was in the vehicle. And just like super matter of fact, like they have the video of the interrogation. It's kind of crazy. Then he just tells what happened. He says Sam was easy to manipulate. At first, he planned on just robbing him. Um, And so, but instead, he knew like he could kind of drag it out. Like he could live there for a little bit rather than just rob him. So that's kind of what he did. But then about a week into living there, Sam was kind of getting annoyed with how Kyle was treating his apartment. So Sam asked him to leave. But at this point, Kyle just said like super straightforward to the police. Like that point, I knew I was going to kill him. So they got into a fight about Kyle leaving. And Kyle said he saw an opportunity to attack him. And so he did. He hit him with a heavy rock that was in the apartment and then strangled him until he was dead. He didn't want to take his body anywhere. So he wrapped it up in like the... um comforter and just put it in the corner of the apartment and then he hunkered down and stayed there and played video games and ate food and just ignored the situation for a bit after the incident he left in sam's vehicle got the purple primer and put it all over the apartment he said he remembered seeing this from an episode of watching csi seriously the next day he loaded up sam's trucks with computer equipment dvds and video games he sold the possessions for cash and abandoned the truck in waco and took a bus home he didn't want to live on the streets anymore so he moved back home with his mom and dad and that was it like it's such a senseless death what in march 2006 he, he avoided the death penalty charge by pleading guilty He's currently serving a life sentence, and he'll be eligible for parole in 2036. He'll be 54 years old. Wow. I don't want to say, like, that was deflating. I know. I was like, eh. I know. Isn't that but, crazy? like, we've said a bunch of times, like, all of, a lot of it's these just so murders senseless. are so senseless. Like, there was no real reason. Like, the guy showed you kindness and let you stay there. Right. That's why. kill him? That's why uh, the title of the episode is No Good Deed. Because, like, they said that Sam was, like, really, like, he would go out of his way to help a lot of people. Yeah, and finally, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, ugh. Wow. Isn't that wild? What a wild ride. It's what a, a wild ride. I know. That fucking bastard. There was um, a scholarship that was formed in his honor at his college campus. So if anyone's interested in donating, please feel free. All right. University of Arlington, Texas. So, Yeah. That's a good one. It was a good one, right? So let us know, guys. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you thought it was at first. Would any of you allow some vagabond on the street to live in your house? Absolutely not. Depends. I think it would depend. I think I'd have to know them for longer than like a week. Here's the thing. Like Like if I built a relationship for months with the person, I don't know. There used to be this really hot homeless guy. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. They used to ask for money at the Niagara Street exit off of the 190. And I always thought, you know. I just gave him a shower and a shave, like he would be okay. So also, hot. do you remember I, the episode of here. Keeping Up with the Kardashians when they brought in the guy Shorty and he was homeless and they gave him a shower really? and like a makeover and gave him clothes? Speaking Ugh. of the Kardashians, did you see Pete Davidson is dating some supermodel now? I'm not surprised. How big is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Gotta get that good, good. <laughs> All right, guys. So let us know what you think. You can follow us on Instagram at Just Makes Sense Podcast. You can follow me at Sam Smith Says. You can follow me at Jeff Seek on Twitter. One after. Oh, I have so much to say about Twitter. Cannot. I know, can't wait. wait. All right, guys. Talk till next time. time. Bye. Bye.